This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Welcome to the interview on the Raptors Republic podcast network. I'm Andrew Damlin. I'm a writer for Raptors Republic. I cover the 905. So if you hear this voice for this podcast, you're probably going to be listening to content about the development of the Raptors and the Raptors 905 players. And a guest that I think is perfect for us has joined us today. The first time I met this guy, I remember I was in a scrum with then 905 head coach Jamma Malalela. And this person walked in the room and Jamma stopped what he did. And he said, look, there's Canadian basketball royalty over there. <laughs> and I turned my head. I'm like, okay, so let's see who this is. And his name is Javon Shepard, an 11-year <laughs> pro internationally. He played with the Canadian national team for over a decade as well. Proudly spent four years at West Hill, dominating the high school scene in Toronto. Went off to Michigan uh, to play for... Tommy Amaker and John Beeline, who he yep. has a huge admiration for. Uh, and he played against Blake Griffin in the NCAA tournament. He famously likes to brag that he dunked on Greg Oden. Um, Absolutely, uh, yep. A big Big Ten rival of his. And uh, spent time overseas, came back, and now he's still in the game. He's cutting his teeth in broadcasting for the 905, for the Saga 960 and he's done work as an analyst for CBC Sports, and he is a proud father of a baby boy. Javon, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, thanks for that that intro. You know, somebody's listening to that. They actually might believe you, and I'm, I'm, I sound better than <laughs> than I am. But no, it's funny. You know, you you touched on that scrum with um, Coach Jama, and to this day, I'm slightly embarrassed at that moment because I remember I, I had no idea what a scrum was, and you know, I came in as a player and I literally walked in. I was like, oh, there's Jama, my guy. I came in and I, you know, high-fived him and embraced him. Then I realized, like, wait, there's cameras there's cameras and microphones in his face. And then everybody kind of chuckled. And, and I think Akil had said, so are you just going to end um, the three-game scrum? Or, uh, no, we kind of chuckled. But it's funny. You know, I, I laugh at it now. And I meant to text him about it the other day because now I'm I'm on that other side. Like, I'm you know, in broadcasting and it's like, okay, that was a very valuable moment that we, that interjected on. So uh, good times though. Good times. Yeah. And another new thing that you're going to be dealing with is you're the general manager of a basketball team when the CEBL with the Ottawa Blackjacks, congrats on, on that position. And so these Thanks are all, so these are all new things for you, new learning experiences. And I know you haven't, you know, recruited talent yet, but you know, now you're on the side where you're you're a talent evaluator. You're someone mm-hmm. who who has to really like go with your instincts, and um, you can talk about it on a broadcast as much as you want. And but those uh, decisions don't have to be tested. And I was wondering right. how, how you know so far. I mean, I'm sure you've done some workouts and things. How have you found that uh, talent evaluation side of your personality so far? How have you found it? I love it because I've, I've always loved it as a player. I knew that you know. 
coaching wasn't necessarily for me as a player, um, or at least in the in the immediate future, um, because I, just, I was fresh off of the court. I still want to give my body time to heal and decompress a bit and just, you know, have some time to spend with, with family and friends. But, you know, even in the latter part of my career, I was really focused on, you know, a big part of why I was even able to extend my career to, you know, over a decade was because, and probably a little more if I, if I really wanted to push it, was because I honed in on, you know, the other side of the game. That's, you know, the, you know, the evaluation and the analytics as well as um, tactics and just really understanding um, player strengths, weaknesses, and, and teams strengths and weaknesses. So, um, you know, it's been an easy transition for, from both sides in terms of the broadcasting and being an analyst as well as uh, general manager to this team because I'm essentially doing, you know, what I love and just evaluating and just watching games, watching players and seeing, putting the piece to the puzzle um, and seeing how that goes. And, and you know, we've, we have a really great staff that we put together. I can't really touch on the, the, the assistant coaches yet, um, but I, I think, you know, CEBL as well as you know it'll be a treat for Canada on a whole and and us develop continuing to develop to develop the game but I, you know most importantly our, our our first order of business was hiring a head coach and you know a guy that you know I know you covered the 905 as well and uh, we're all familiar with Charles Dubray uh he he was coaching he was an assistant with coach Jama uh, last season with the 905 for the last couple of seasons and um, you know the opportunity presented itself and, and for me it was a great opportunity to have him have him on board yeah and he seems like an absolute basketball lifer I think he coached in like Japan for for yeah. a long period so the dedication that I and I, I would watch him in practice as well and so he's definitely someone who's super dedicated to the game and that's an from my perspective from what I've seen it seems like a pretty awesome hire and, but from a from a talent evaluation perspective, I think what Raptors fans and Raptors 905 fans especially are most interested in, and someone you should have a perhaps a unique insight into, is Nick Stauskas, who right. is joining the team because he's a five-year vet and any team can sign in the G League after if you're a five-year vet, you don't have to draft them. So Stauskas joins the 905 for this 15-game bubble. He went to Michigan. You went to Michigan. And I actually wanted to ask, I'm not sure if you listened to JJ Reddick's podcast, but there's uh-huh. this Duke brotherhood that's incredibly pretentious and annoying to everybody else outside of Duke. I was wondering uh-huh. if it was sort of similar with Michigan in that, in that regard. Absolutely. Like it's, uh, it's funny. Um, I was actually uh, a couple guys that were, you know, a couple years ahead of me, um, actually Lewis Bullock. I'm not sure he, he played some time or got drafted on and then, you know, had a, had a long career over in Europe. He actually connected with me this week and we sat down, we had, you know, a podcast just like this, but the, the, you know, the, the, the idea of it is really to keep that brotherhood going. And it's not even a podcast that's, that's publicized or put out, you know, released to the public, but it's more for, Michigan alumni, uh, current players, former players, for us just to stay connected and stay together. So, you know, it was really a nostalgic moment and just really just deliberating and, and fun to sit down and have those conversations. And then, you know, to go along with with Nick, like, to, you know, follow up what you said there, like, yeah, like me, Nick and I would touch base now and then. And it's always like, okay, we have similar things to talk about. That as much as we're not together, as much as, you know, we're a couple years apart, we have similar experiences and, you know, some of the same places on Michigan campus we went to, same, the same jokes, uh, 
you know, same experiences with John Beeline or fun that we poke at him, you know, it's, it's a common ground for us. So it's, it's always great to, you know, just have that brotherhood and have that experience and, 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 and just be able to connect on, on that level as well as just having so many mutual people here. Uh, and I, I think he's going to be an absolute treat for the Raptors 905 because, you know, if you're looking at his career, great. You know, he was drafted. He was a, he was a lottery pick drafted eight. Um, he was also the Big Ten uh, Player of the Year, I believe, in 2013 it was. Or his second, it was his sophomore 2014, year. 2014, yeah. 2014, yeah. So he was Big Ten Player of the Year there. Um, you know, when you're looking at that, uh, that doesn't happen by fluke. You know, this you don't accomplish those accomplishments don't happen just because you know somebody wanted to hand them over. I think where his can his career has gone, it's it's been situational, right? If you're looking at it, you're saying, okay, this lottery pick hasn't really established himself in this league. No, uh, I think Nick, Nick, if he was drafted today, uh, given you know where the NBA game is today. Now, he would be a staple and he would be a guy that would be warranting a lot of money. So it's no surprise to me that he's going to be playing with the, you know, the Raptors development team, um, given the style of play the Raptors want to, you know, get up and down and, and lead the league in three point attempts and make. So I think he's going to come in and it's just to show that he's healthy and that he can still shoot the basketball at, at a high clip. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure we'll see him bouncing, you know, back and forth this year. And, um, I'm hoping to ask him this myself at some point, but you know, he spends four or five years in the league and then he's off to Europe for a year. He's out of the NBA. So he's in Sacramento, apparently not a great uh, experience with DeMarcus cousins goes to Philly. Um, and he's in Cleveland. Uh, he's in Portland for a, for a minute too. He had one amazing game. It was the opening night of the 2018 season. Oh, yeah. I think I remember him it's hitting LA, a right against LeBron he hit yep. a huge three. He was jumping into guys' arms. I'm like, I was yep. so happy for him at that moment. But, you know, so you're out of the league. Is there, and if, if you're in touch with him, I wonder if there's a moment, like a crisis of confidence uh, or a th- something where he's like, I got to change my approach. I got to change something in order to in order to stick. It is partially situational, like you said. Um, but is there something that you know of that perhaps either he knows he has to change or you think he might have to change in order to actually get back into the league? I think, you know, uh, the NBA game is, is so, it's really particular in the sense of it's made up of, you know, superstars where you, you have your LeBrons, your Kevin Durants, your Steph Currys, you know, those, those spots are limited. You know, not everybody's going to be those guys. Then you have your specialty guys, um, you know, which I feel Nick would fall into that category right there being, you know, a guy that can really shoot the basketball over his career in the NBA. He shot, you know, at a 35% clip from three. Um, if he can get that number up as well as get his, his attempts up and just make the right shots, make efficient shots and be that knockdown guy when, when teams, you know, when, the, when defense collapses and, and he's the guy that you can kick out to and really rely on, there's always going to be a place for him. There's always going to be a place for shooters um and i think this it's not so much that he needs to change anything it, it's more confidence it's more confidence you're there you you're a lottery pick and you were there for a reason right so i think this opportunity that had presented itself uh, him going to europe also allowed him time to decompress and just evaluate everything because you know it was a tough stretch out there as well and, and a lot i see that with a lot of, in my time in europe too where a lot of guys that come from the nba you know, their first couple of months, they struggle a bit because it's a different culture of basketball. It's a different style, different philosophy. Um, and the coaching is completely different. So 
the fact that he was able to merge those those two. He's he's been you know at a high level playing in in the Big Ten and at the NCAA had a lot of success there. Um, got into the NBA. You know his first his second year with with Philly was his best year. So he he had a little turbulent start. He had some success with Philly um, and things. You know tailored off a bit and then also, you know, injuries here and there, a natural part of the game. And then to the, to the naive fan, you would think, okay, no, he went to Europe. He's done. He fell off. Well, no, a lot of guys really um, have a rebirth when they, when they, when they're able to go back and just, okay, now, you know, I can add some things to my game. I understand the game a bit different. I look at the game from a different perspective now. So, I think he's gonna. It's gonna be bode well for him, and, and he has a tremendous opportunity in front of him, especially with a an organization that really wants to shoot the, the three ball. And like we said earlier, um, a lot of this is situational, and this is a perfect situation for him. And speaking of guys, they've looked to develop, especially develop the three ball, and uh, who's been surprisingly efficient from the three point line is Chris Boucher, and he's mm-hmm. someone who. I watched his first game with the 905 and on, and I try to pretend to be that talent evaluator. And, <laughs> I, you know, I see the the freakish athleticism. I see the ability to block shots. I also see him jump at every up fake. That's mm-hmm. a, a, even there for anyone who scouts him can, can make him bite on any three-pointer. Why people continue to get blocked by their corner threes by Boucher is just beyond me because he's just give him an up fake, it seems, and he, and he runs by <laughs> you. But, you know, after two years of watching him, a year and a bit watching him in the 905, I, I was thinking, okay, he gets the call up, he gets the guaranteed contract with the Raptors, but I just don't think he's going to stick. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see the jump shot doesn't seem reliable enough. It's this weird slingshot motion, and uh-huh. um, it, it, it the game's too physical in the NBA for him. And I and I feel like if you gave Jamma some truth serum. And mm-hmm. asked him, did you think that this was going to be Chris Boucher? And who knows, you know, listen, he's got to prove it consistently over the course of a season. But I wonder if he would say that he really believed that this could be. Did, did you think that Chris Boucher could develop into what he is right now? And do you think this is actually what he is, like a 40-plus percent three-point shooter? Is this is this who he is? Like, tell me, what do you think? Okay, okay, I'll say this. You know, and I, I, I think... That's the that's the side that everybody looks at is is what you don't get with Chris Boucher, um, and and that was a focal point before. He's he's not as physical. He's you know, well for for better words, he's he's pretty light for his position. Um, you know, the the mechanics of his shot may not be what everybody you know the, the perfect shot. It's not your your Ray Allen shot. It's not um, some of your better shooters or the the, the mechanically of your better shooters, but you know, what doesn't show up in the stat sheet is that he's a guy that fights. He's a guy that's gritty. He's a guy that's tough. He's a guy that, you know, is going to die for that loose ball. He's a guy that has an infectious, um, not personality, but energy for his team and his teammates, right? And I think that's what, you know, that's what earned him minutes with this Raptors team this year in terms of, you know, he got this team extra possessions. He was the one, if you, if you notice, you know, if there's ever a fast break, if that basketball comes off the rim, for some reason, Chris Boucher, Chris Boucher always seems to be around the basketball, tipping it in. You know, that's a guy that has is relentless in in his approach to the game and 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 doesn't take plays off. So, um, you know, at the start of the season or when he signed his contract, did he look like he was going to come in and, and you know be a forty percent shooter 
or you know average double figures no but he earned his stripes he earned his keeps with with um with coach nurse over the time and, and that allowed him along the leash to gain confidence in in the things that he can do so and any coach will tell you like if you're able to give us you know if i look down my bench and, and i know i can get something out of you and with Chris Boucher, it was going to be effort. It was going to re- be rebounds, and he was going to be able to defend multiple possessions, multiple positions. He'll he'll extend his minutes on the court, and then I, you know, that gives him way to take one extra shot or two extra shots. Which for him, he had the confidence to take those shots, which turns to two, three, four more. Um, so I, you know, I have to commend him for that, and I, I you know, I, I hope as the season goes on, you know, guys will take more of his his personality as well as Fred Van Fleet's personality, which are guys that are just warriors and, and fight. So, uh, and you know what? I'll say this too. It was a shortened off season. Um, you would have thought that guys wouldn't be able to develop as much, but there was times where a lot of times I seen Chris in the gym in this, in this little off season. And you would think that, you know, being guys would go home to their families or, or the respective um, uh, province in his case or wherever the, the home is for them. But he was in Toronto. He's proven to the coaches, just like I seen Stanley Johnson in Toronto um, over the offseason. And those guys are here. And it's no surprise to me that those guys are um, the ones that are, are surprising um, us right now. Yeah. And you have a particular you place a particular value on the energy, on the on the effort. And uh, there's and there's a tweet that I, I read of yours um, yesterday that I'm sure would get most Raptors fans sort of thinking about it thinking about things for a second it was Mm -hmm. uh as much as raptors fans would love a superstar i'd go as far as to say they're only missing that player that'll go get a uh, go set a good screen secure loose balls someone that enjoys the grunt work that leads Mm -hmm. to extra possessions and and demoralizes opponents and so when i have conversations with my friends i think to myself the raptors need that superstar (laughs) that's that's (laughs) that's that's the thought i have you know they they trade for Kawhi, they win a championship they lose they lose Kawhi. they're gutting out a second round series that's kind of the ceiling um i i see for them so you know is there like i don't know i explain that explain that a a bit further because i do think that if you look on, on the history of the league other than you know oh four detroit uh, and like 2011 Mavs, even though they had Dirk, so they had that superstar, but otherwise it was a bunch of sort of role players. Do you think that, um, ha- do you think their ceiling can be higher with, with a great role player? Like who, who okay, maybe that so that's, you know, it's interesting because if you look at this team, right, of the, what are they right now? Seven and 11, I believe it is, correct? Yeah. If you look at the 11 games that they've lost, seven of those have come down to essentially two possession games. Um, that to me isn't a superstar that is, you know, way before the superstar takes effect. That's that superstar gets that last shot that comes down to a loose ball, uh, an offensive rebound that could have been a put back a, you know, somebody missing their assignment offensively and setting a good screen that would have given you just three of those right there would give you six baskets minimum potential, potentially nine or even, you know, four, three point plays. Um, 12. So those are little things that can be changed. Now, everybody in the perfect world, everybody would love to have a LeBron, would love to have a James Harden. The reality is there's not many of those in the NBA. Not every team, there's not 30 superstars. You have 
six superstars, you know, some stars, and again, now role players and role players, which are either specialty guys or, or role players. So if we're playing our odds right now, what's the likelihood of us getting, you know, a guy that can do the grunt work and and make a small change that can make a big difference is a lot higher than us, you know, attracting a superstar right now. And at the end of the day, if you secure a guy that can do some grunt work, we still have money left in the tank that we're saving for, for Giannis to go out and get that superstar next, next offseason. So I, I'm thinking more long-term right now, you know, this, this, this team is two games um, out of sixth spot in the East. Again, we're talking about, you know, a team that plays in the Eastern conference where anything is possible. So, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of ways to look at it. And yeah, I would love to have a LeBron here. I'd love to have Kawhi here, but then you also think, what does that do for your chemistry? What does that do with the, for the makeup of this team as well? So, uh, yeah, there's there's many ways to look at it. That that's just my immediate, I shouldn't say fix, but uh, my immediate adjustment. And, and that you know what, that could actually be done uh, internally as well. If somebody is you know makes up their mind that they're going to be the Charles Oakley of this team uh, and and do those little things and hold guys accountable. So sometimes less is more, and you know it, it, it's a quick fix. If you're looking at the team last year as well, that was a team that came off a championship run, lost. Um, arguably the best player in the league at that time and still end up finishing with the best record in franchise history. So a lot is doable without a superstar so long as you have a team that plays together. Yeah, and in, in that development mode, if we look at the current roster for the 905, they got a bunch of pretty enticing players with uh, NBA experience. We mentioned Stauskas. There's Henry Ellenson, a sharpshooter who spent time with uh, Brooklyn and in the 905 system last year. Uh, and I'm a big fan of his. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, because he, he got a little bit of preseason time against the Hornets. Just, you know, mm-hmm. he missed a shot or two. And Nick Nurse did t- talk about just being disappointed that he couldn't see as much as of, of everybody mm-hmm. um, that he could. So, you know, as for Raptor fans, what, what do you think um, his NBA potential is? Henry Allenson, 6'10 at a Marquette, uh, incredible shooter. What do you think he could possibly be uh, if he ever were to come to the NBA? I think he would be your, you know, a, a definitely a rotational big. Um, the only the only qualm I have with him is, you know, his defensive uh, ability. And, and again, if you're looking at the fours and the fives of the league right now, they're extremely agile. Um, they're pretty much the makeup of Chris Boucher with with size. So. You have to be able to move. You have to be able to defend. You have to be able to laterally um, bring something to the table just as much on, you know, on the rebounding end. So I, I think he's in a, a big offensive talent. Uh, the only question I have, and I think that would be the only reason why he's been on the outside, um, hasn't really, you know, got his spot locked in or, you know, etched his spot in the NBA is would probably be the liability on that end would be my would be my only concern there. But I think, again, within the right situation and with some development, um, the right coaching, he's he's an NBA talent as well. And so someone who beat him out for an NBA roster spot that, um, I don't know if he came out of nowhere or not, but Yuta Watanabe, he's mm-hmm. got uh, similar height, like he's 6'9"-ish, but he's got length mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the stuff I read, I, I can't see it myself because I, I don't see the game in quite the detail that um, some of my colleagues do like you, but everyone sort of says 
he's in the right spots all the time on, on both mm-hmm. ends. Like mm-hmm. what, so what do you see from Utah uh, Watanabe? Why did he, you know, why did he beat out uh, all those people that were in training camp? Like what's, what's special about his game that 905 and Raptors fans can really look forward to? It, it boils down to, you know, that we're, and we're the same with same thing with Chris Boucher it boils down to effort um, and, and energy. And I think, you know, Watanabe did a great job in, um, you know, from from the preseason on into up until this point in just his effort plays, and those pay dividends for him. Um, I think when you're when you're talking about positioning, uh, he's always in the right position defensively. He he doesn't miss many defensive assignments, and he really utilizes his strength, which is his length. I mean, if you're looking at him, you, you know what? He's not the best laterally. He he all he does, you know, he chops his feet pretty fast, pretty high, and and would look like he's about to tip over if you, you know, give him a right to left crossover. But, you know, for some reason, he's always able to get a deflection. He's always to get in the little minutes that he plays, a deflection, a block. Um, you know, he'll be out in, in transition. And a thing I appreciate about him too is a guy in his position will usually be a bit more, you know, anxious on offense and trying to get a bucket or trying to prove to the coach that, hey, I can score too. Cause you, you know, naturally young guys new to them, you, you think, Oh, I need to score to prove to the coach that I can play. Well, no, he's actually made some really good passes, the right, the hockey pass at that and not even looking for the assist. So when you factor all that in, he's a guy that that's earned his minutes as well. And then the, the, when, when you go back to the deflections, no, it, you know, a deflection may not show up in the stat sheet as a steal or say, Hey, this is the best defender. But what it does is disrupts the offense. And now when you know, you've disrupted the offense, you've created yourself, you've created an advantage for yourself defensively. And, and that's that's a big part of how he's earned his time, earned his stripes. And in the vein of uh, being in the right spots, and we're talking about work ethic, and uh, I, I wanted to ask you and sort of switch gears a little bit to the international scene. Um, and uh, if, if first of all, if I, if I if I could fire you up for a second, um, okay. you know, Canada basketball gets fined right. uh, $250,000 for not appearing at a uh, at a tournament in Venezuela I believe can you tell me your reaction when you uh, when you saw that that news I thought it was pathetic I thought it was you know uncalled for given the climate of what we're dealing with and given that you know Canada basketball was protecting the interests of their players their staff their coaches and were advised by the health protocols of not only the team or the team doctors per se, but that of Canada, you know, on a whole, you know, and I, I thought that was a bit unfair uh, when you take that into consideration. And then the fact that th- these sanctions were, were thrown down upon them while, um, you know, both Canada basketball and FIBA had, had been in conversation and corresponding in, in relation to, you know, the upcoming windows in February. So, um, but I'm not surprised. Um, there's there's stuff that goes on in in the European on the European side, or or where FIBA's concerned, and um, that probably those stories probably won't be to, be told too much. And I, I remember myself being on a trip with uh, the national team, and I, I believe we were we were somewhere in South South America, and we we're flying from you know maybe Brazil to Argentina or something like that. It was a FIBA sanctioned tournament, and we had four teams. Um, going on this small jet uh, in FIBA. This is all FIBA organized. And I remember at that time was Tiago Splitter, um, Barbosa, you know, 
Bergeau. Plethora of other guys, Bergeau. And, you know, these guys, you know, some big guys. Big guys were all, you know, 6'5-plus basketball players. And, you know, they're packing these four teams and the coaches and the support staff onto this flight. The luggage, all our luggage is in the road, in the middle of the roads of the flight. <laughs> um, luckily, right. So this, and this is like, no, people saying, guys, board the flight, we're, we're, we're going on. And I remember the team doc, our, our, our team doc, actually, Dr. Philpott said, uh, no, we're, Canada's not boarding this flight. And nobody is at that, for that matter, if, you know, these are going to be the conditions because this flight won't get off the floor. And if it does, it's, it's going to come down with everybody. Um, you know, so it's little things like that, that doesn't surprise me when I see, um, you know, a sanction like this from FIBA coming down after, you know, the decision was made to protect um, their staff and, and, and players. So, but yeah, to, to touch on that flight, we actually never ended up boarding it. Uh, eventually they sent some of the luggage with, they drove it to the next destination, which took, took a couple of days. That was a whole other story. Um, you know, and, and we barely got off the floor and thank God we landed safely, but it was, it was a mess. I think it was maybe two guys sitting in the rows or like actually on the floor of the row. It, it was, you know, it was a mess. And then Javon, the next time I have you on, uh, if you are kind enough to join me, it'll all be international basketball horror stories. Done, done, done. So, done. so stay tuned for that, everybody. But uh, okay. in my in my previous question, maybe, I got maybe by maybe by then I'll have some some of the my salaries that have been owed to me for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Leo Rounds complains about that too. You know, and I got I got sidetracked in my previous question because I was thinking about Steve Nash, who runs the uh, the Canadian basketball, the Canadian national program. But uh, I was wondering. You know, you have a relationship with him. I was wondering when when he became the head coach um, of the of the Nets. You know, out of nowhere, uh, it seemed anyway. No coaching experience, um, but someone who's obviously a proven leader. Uh, work ethic is legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but for me, I see him pacing the sidelines, and I'm like, man, this is this must be this is totally new for him he's he doesn't draw plays he's got his offensive and defensive coordinators um how do you think he's going to do especially specifically in this situation where he's got to manage big egos how do you think he's, do you think he's going to be able to sort of reel in this big three and have them playing optimally is is steve nash the right fit for this team as head coach i i, I say this i think again when you're looking at and I, I heard the conversations a while ago and people saying you know he's not qualified well guess what he's a two-time mvp uh in this league and he's led you know he's been captain to some really good teams really great teams and been you know the floor general so when i hear that he doesn't have the experience i'm a little confused there because in fact he has more experience than you know some of the coaches that, are, that end up in that seat because He's done it on the court, right? It's different to be, you know, on the sideline and dictating where where guys should go. But when you when you're on the court doing it and you're doing it in real time, you know those experiences. You can speak to those experiences and you can also relate to your players more than you know a coach that's been removed from the game for for forty years. So, um, you know, just like anything, you know, a coach that has had you know sideline experience usually fills the voids in his staff where he's weak in terms of getting assistants that are relatable. Now it's just inverted. You know, this guy, he has his player, he has a player experience. He's relatable. Now I fill those spots with 
coach that has, you know, chair experience. And so it's a little, it's a little different. And I think he has the experience. It's just, we're not familiar with, with, um, you know, we're just, we're just not familiar with him in that position, but in terms of experience, he has more than enough and you don't accomplish some of the things that you do without, um, you know, having that experience. And then the second part to that was that these guys, these guys wanted them there, right? Like KD, if, if Sean Marks didn't get the green light from KD, Steve Nash is not there, right? So that speaks volumes too. And, you know, I have some friends that work with, um, with them at over in Brooklyn and, and they speak highly of them. They speak highly of everything that they're doing. So it's great. And then, you know, Nash has brought in a guy like Amari that's easier. If anybody gets out of line, just get them in check. That's an enforcer. <laughs> Yeah, no, and he's so he's someone you know in a new role that uh, is very likely to succeed. You're someone in a new role who I think is also very likely to succeed. Both very thoughtful people that do everything with a purpose. Listen, Javon, you've taken a half hour out of your day. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I wish you the best of luck with 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 Ottawa, and we really hope that uh, you can come back on and share some international horror stories and keep us up to date with the development of all the, uh, the 905 <laughs> players as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, thanks, Javon. Have an awesome day. Same to you. 